Welcome to the Paranormal News Insider for the week of August 25th, 2020, and this is episode number 448, and this is your host, Dr. Brian D. Parsons, and we are live on the Paranormal King radio network at ParanormalKing.com. And this week we have uh, quite a little, I don't know what you'd call it, uh, a mix, a variety of paranormal news for you. We've got some uh well we got some strange creatures out in the united kingdom we've got ufos all over the place uh we've got uh in outer space we've got them here on earth we we've got we're gonna talk first contact and we're gonna talk about people coming back from the dead it's it's been a weird week in the news uh not the biggest week of paranormal news but certainly some really interesting stories and uh kind of just cover the highlights. There's a few stories that uh, I was kind of mentioning in the chat room a few minutes ago that uh, kind of hit the cutting room floor. There's only so much you can talk about uh, in a one-hour program, and unfortunately, some stuff falls to the wayside. Maybe I'll throw some comments in about those stories. Uh, before I get too carried away, I want to remember, because I know I'll forget, uh, I have an update about the postponement of the MUFON 2020 International UFO Symposium. I mentioned that last week it was uh, canceled for this year. Um, it was uh, earlier, it was rescheduled from July 17th through the 19th to September 25th through the 27th, but uh, was canceled. Of course, now it's been rescheduled. I, I don't understand that. To me, it's either it's canceled because it's going to happen next year. Can't reschedule it from this year to next year, but that that's I guess just my viewpoint. Uh, but yeah, next year, July twenty third through the twenty fifth, twenty twenty one. That date has now been announced in Las Vegas, Nevada, for the MUFON twenty twenty one International UFO Symposium. So the twenty twenty one never happened. So you can't really re. Well, I don't know. It is what it is, but uh, it's been happening all year long. We've been talking about it, gosh, since uh, March. It seems like it, uh, all these events getting canceled, postponed, uh, rescheduled. And uh, it seems like the, the thing to do now is just go ahead and reschedule these things for 2021. Now, there is a, a rash of events that are going to happen virtually. Uh, so they're going to happen uh, via uh, Skype or some other method online. But uh, we'll see how that takes. I, I think um, I don't see it being a problem as long as they have the technology to do so. And um, I think it's still good. You're, you're going to learn. I think the, the biggest drawback is you're not going to learn from the other attendees at these kind of events. But you're certainly going to learn from the speakers uh, that put on that that show up to these events. I think it's pretty good, um, but I think you're going to lose a little bit of the interaction with that said speaker, as well as uh, again the other people that are attending the event. And you know, it also hurts the the pockets of those who show up and and sell things at those. And 
Yeah, you do meet a lot of people. It's it's good for uh, meet and greet a lot of people uh, from various fields, not just if you're going to a ghost event. Sometimes you'll meet their people from cryptozoology and whatnot. So sad year for events, but uh, big uh, packed house for next year. It's it's going to be uh, as long as everything goes okay as far as COVID-19 is concerned. It doesn't turn into COVID-20 or 21 or anything like that. It would be horrible. Uh, the events uh, schedule is going to be packed. And uh, I do my best to keep uh, my website updated. So paranewsinsider.com. And you can click on the events tab at the top. And then you can see the complete disaster that is known as 2020. As far as paranormal conferences, conventions are concerned it's uh it's just everything is just uh, scratched out and beaten up and crossed out and uh rescheduled and whatnot and um again i say it uh, every time i talk about these events be careful if you're going to buy tickets for any of these uh, know what the cancellation policy is especially in this day and age uh, a lot of these events don't have the power sometimes sometimes it's the uh, the place where they're holding these events that says hey we can't move forward. Sometimes it's it's the county or the state that forces a mandate that says that these events cannot go on. So uh, be well aware of the contingency plans if things go awry for these events. And what the, uh, the person putting on the event is willing or able to do for you in case anything should happen. And it's sad, but you really have to think about that nowadays, about losing your money. And, um, yeah, just, just be aware of the cancellation policies. Well, with that, we're going to move into cryptid news for episode number 448. Seems crazy. Closing on 450 already. Um, so cryptid news. Well, we're going to learn our ABCs this week. Hopefully somebody, some out, somebody out there somewhere laughed at that joke but uh you know what abcs are well alien big cats is what we call abcs here in the paranormal and uh, generally referring to the united kingdom as far as alien big cats it's really a topic we don't get to talk about too much here on the paranormal news insider but always excited to talk about this i think it's a really interesting concept and we'll kind of explore as we get through the story, what that really means. Well, last week, the Wilson Gloucestershire Standard published a poll on their website asking respondents if they thought that big cats are living and breeding in Gloucestershire. Well, an amazing 88% of people said yes, and 8% said no, and 3% said uh, they were not sure. They don't know what an ABC is. Uh, this poll comes at the heels of a story of a sighting during the wrap-up of the filming of a documentary on the subject. The documentary is called Britain's Big Cat Mystery, and it's set to explore the supposed population of large exotic cats. Well, as the final edit for the documentary was being put together, new photos from a trail camera near the Forest of Dean were revealed uh, Tim Wittard, the documentary's lead researcher, who himself 
nearly hit a large black cat many years ago, stated, quote, the photographs have been viewed by a respected and credentialed zoologist who has unequivocally identified the animal in the photographs as a puma. The photographs are going to be kept exclusive to the documentary so that the analysis and scaling of the photos can be shown in detail, unquote. Well, large exotic cats, so pumas, um, tigers, lions, you know, big cats. Well, they used to be a common sight in the United Kingdom. Not that they roamed freely. I mean, you'd have to go really far back in history for that. Uh, but as recently as the 1970s, 1960s, really, it was really hip and cool. Well, maybe it wasn't hip in the 60s. Well, maybe it was. I don't remember with the lingo back then. But uh, it was cool to keep them as pets and basically as a status symbol. Uh, you're pretty cool if you're walking around with a mountain lion, but you're ultra cool if you had a lion uh, on, a, on a leash, I guess. Um so, yeah, even downtown London, you'd see people walking around with uh, exotic animals in tow. Pretty cool. Um, that was until the Dangerous Wild Animals Act of 1976, which really, really changed things. Um, there's a lot of issues that go, obviously, with, with having these exotic animals and things that can potentially happen and go wrong. Well, with that passing... Of the law, many people decided to, well, let their exotic pets loose in the wild in the United Kingdom. And many of these large cats are thought to have been breeding in the wild ever since. And of course, you know, we're about 40 years after that. So, gosh, we're more than 40 years. Jeez, I'm getting old. So, more than 40 years after the passing of this. So, that's quite a long time. It's a lot of, a few generations of. Of cats, if they're breeding out there in the wild, and you have to wonder if there's uh, different types of cats that are breeding with each other out there, and what kind of things that's causing. Uh, but there is a you know a lot of sightings of black cats and of uh, large uh, puma-like cats. So you don't see too many uh, like male lions with the mane. Or cheetahs and, and things like that. It seems to, to be, it's more of the um, probably leopards, jaguars, and pumas that are out there, which are probably the most kept exotic pets of the time. Uh, but it's amazing, though, that uh, nothing has ever been hit by a car. That's my thing. Um, unfortunately, in the 21st century, that's kind of a gauge as to whether or not you're having large. Uh, creatures moving throughout an area. Even here in the United States, uh, many uh, trail cams were capturing evidence of mountain lions moving east, and many states were saying, uh, as recently as the early 2000s, saying that uh, this is not true. These are all fakes. Uh, that was until one was hit by a car uh, just outside of New York City in Connecticut. And... Uh, back in 2008 and that kind of changed everything uh, since then it's uh it used to be uh, i should say prior to that it used to be that uh they'd always say well that's an, ex an escaped pet or somebody you know let one loose it's not from the it's not a wild one it's not real uh, well ever since that uh, you know that exact one was actually from uh, 
the South Dakota area. So they know they're coming east. At least the males are. But uh, they got they're getting hit by cars occasionally. You know, there's not that many of them, but it happens. So I'm wondering why it's not happened in the United Kingdom. But uh, I'm interested in seeing this uh, documentary and finding out what uh, kind of evidence they have in addition to this photograph. I really want to see this photograph as well. I, I think I've seen uh, a tease of this, uh, but I really want to see the picture. I don't really want to see this documentary. And if you want to find more information on the documentary, like me, uh, you can find more information at britainsbigcatmystery.com. That's all one word, britainsbigcatmystery.com. And I suppose I could put that link, if I was nice, I'd put it in the chat room. And I guess uh, tonight I'll be nice and put that in the chat room. Uh, maybe. Oh, there we go. All right. So that's what your, jeez, uh, Dita, I, I shared the link. That's one little perk of being here live in the chat room, or I should say alive in the chat room. I think everyone's alive. Yeah, we're good. Uh, you get uh, little extra freebies, such as these links as I do the stories, uh, as well as some photographs. Don't have, uh, I think I only have one photograph tonight to share, but it's an interesting one. Coming up, uh, actually, the next story. Wow, what a good segue. So we're going to transition now to UFO News. And, uh, whoa, getting ahead of myself. Let me put the link to the last story in the chat room. Then we'll head on over to UFO News. And uh, the big UFO story of the week, of course, uh, I'm going to headline off with that one. Sure, you've seen this in the news or heard about it, probably saw it on some social media outlets. Um, kind of interesting news. You don't really hear about this kind of stuff happen um, too much from certain types of people. Usually it's just uh, some armchair believers saying, well, I saw this on a, on a TV show or I saw this on a, um, you know, NASA's cameras or whatever. I saw a banana on Mars. Whatever. Uh, an interesting UFO sighting. Uh, got a lot of attention last week. Uh, but I don't think because of the UFO itself, but because who saw it and where it was seen. Russian cosmonaut Ivan Wagner tweeted out a video of the Aurora Borealis where he also captured five objects appearing and disappearing. Uh, the video was shot on board the International Space Station and later tweeted on August, uh, sorry, August 19th. The video was actually a time-lapse video, so one frame was captured each second as a photograph, and these photographs were later edited into a video into 25 frames per second. So in the tweet, Wagner titled the video as, quote, Space Guests, or How I Filmed the New Time-Lapse, unquote. Uh, he also adds uh, here, he says, uh, quote, at 9 to 12 seconds, five objects appear flying alongside with the same distance. What do you think those are? Meteors, satellites, or dot, 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 question mark. 
unquote, and cue the conspiracies. Well, of course, the or aspect received the most attention on social media. Uh, it's important to note that uh, Wagner did not see these objects during the filming. And again, it's also important to note that these were still images taken and put together in a time lapse. So I, I do have a, uh, a still of that. Uh, it's really when you see the, the video, it's most of the videos now I'm seeing out there are cropped. So it makes it look like it's bigger than what it really is. But uh, even this picture that I'm going to share with you is, uh, is a little cropped. Uh, otherwise, you really would have a hard time seeing them. Uh, but you can see a little line. So there's only four here, but he says that there was five. I think uh, maybe one of them's already faded out. And yeah, you can click on the image to make it bigger. And you don't see the aurora in this. You can see the, oh my gosh, you can see the curve. Holy smokes, there's a curve. The earth is round or elliptical, whatever. Um, yeah, you can see the atmosphere there, but uh, you can't see the, the aurora starts. Um, they're actually over Antarctica looking north. It's a sphere. Okay, well, that's round-ish. Um, so a lot of people are speculating that these are definitely UFOs in formation. Of course, anytime you use the, the name, uh, the location, Antarctica, well, that's, you know, automatically. It's definitely UFOs going to the big base down there where all the governments of the world hang out and have tea with uh, all the aliens. Um, other people are making suggestions that uh, actually kind of make some sense, including that these might be Starlink satellites flying in formation. Now, I don't have the the actual altitude information of when this occurred, but this seems to be pretty high up for the uh, Starlink satellites and seeing how the International Space Station came from that area, I don't think they would put the ISS in the flight path of Starlink satellites. That would not be good at all. I mean, these are like flying suitcases, and it only takes a speck of dust, really, to tear through the International Space Station. So I don't think they're going to um, allow them to go that close. Well, it's probably a few... It's actually probably a few hundred miles away from those things. Um, but, you know, you can think about this. Now, there's really no, you know, in the tweets, uh, there's really never been any sort of suggestion as to what these objects could have been. Um, if these are sob solid objects, physical objects in space, yeah, they're probably satellites. And, uh, at the, the altitude and the, the, the direction that they're going. Uh, so the sun is on the other side of the earth, but kind of doing some field math really quick. Uh, when I was researching the story, those satellites would be far enough away in theory to reflect the sunlight toward the camera, especially down towards the ground. This happens all the time. We see uh, scintillation of satellites, uh, you can go outside and, and look up uh, 10 o'clock to midnight, even up until about 2 o'clock in the morning, and you can still see satellites reflecting sunlight down to the Earth's surface. So, you know, you don't see the sunlight, but it's there. 
and the same thing's happening in this picture. Uh, but I don't think it's Starlink, and certainly don't think it's uh, five satellites that high up in the orbit. Um, but it's possible. But again, I don't know the altitude. Uh, that wasn't released. Uh, granted, you can go back and, and look it up. Um, but, you know, I've seen all the speculation, all these hypotheses floating around of what everybody thinks it is. Uh, but one thing that no one's really mentioned, uh, and I've thrown it out there in a few places, but largely ignored, um, it's possible that these objects are actually reflections from within the International Space Station. Some food for thought. Uh, it might have been caused by something moving by the window or light reflecting within the craft and allowing lights or other objects to reflect between the camera and the window of the craft. So there's a the way they do this, they usually attach a camera looking out these windows. It's not connected completely to the window. And even if it is, these windows are pretty thick and light can get in there and reflect back into the lens of the camera. It's happened quite a bit. It's been happening actually since the 1960s. We've seen these kind of reflections that have fooled people. Uh, this happens a lot. You see UFO videos taken out of airplanes. It's the same concept. Uh, sometimes this reflection can happen within the craft itself and make it appear as though it's outside. Don't have an answer. Uh, apparently this video is, is being sent out for more research and hopefully uh, we can get a, a more detailed hypothesis or maybe a theory as to what actually happened here so we can kind of put this to rest. But it's kind of interesting that a cosmonaut or astronaut here in the United States, but in, in Russia, you're, you're a cosmonaut. You can't be an astronaut in Russia, I guess. Uh, that, uh, you know, somebody who's used to being in space, granted, again, he didn't see these with the naked eye. It's only on, on video. So it does leave it open to other explanations other than just UFOs. So I'll throw that link in the chat room. The link actually has a... Uh, it does have a video in it, so you can watch the actual time-lapse video that's uh, about 60 seconds long. And in reality, the photos, I think, were a total of 52 seconds long, I think Ivan says. But it's interesting nonetheless, and it does look like a, a seamless movie. But again, it's a bunch of still images all taken together. So it kind of changes it a little bit. Well, even though that's what video really is anyway. And another UFO sighting, this one happened at the Doncaster Sheffield Airport in the United Kingdom back on August 10th. So I guess it's a more down-to-earth UFO sighting. Uh, Andrew Pollard, who just happens to be an amateur ghost investigator, brought his young son to the airport to take pictures of airplanes well, as the airplanes did what airplanes do, taking off and landing, making a lot of noise, uh, hopefully not hitting seagulls. Well, when returning home, Andrew noticed a video that he took was uh, in slow motion, which I guess was by accident. Uh, in that film, he noticed a slow-moving object moving from the right to the left across the screen, seemingly buzzing past the jet that was coming in for a landing. 
Pollard commented, quote, I must have recorded it at the wrong speed. And just before I deleted it, I saw what looked like a rod flying across. It's really strange. Someone freeze framed it and it looked like a disc. I contacted the airport about it and they they're quite interested in it. I've not got a vast knowledge about this sort of thing, but maybe it could be a UFO. It's really unusual, unquote. Uh, so he admits he doesn't have vast knowledge about photography, which is a little scary when you consider he's a ghost investigator. Uh, and he mentions it being a rod. So if you don't remember rods, rods were big. Um, geez, what was it? The 90s, 1990s. Um, people were photographing these strange looking things that were called uh, nicknamed skyfish back in the day. And they look like, um, or sky squid, uh, skyfish. They look like um, a long object with kind of like a corkscrew to them flying through the air. And people thought that these were animals, uh, actually undocumented creatures in the sky. Well, turns out that, um, was it China? I think China was the one that they, they actually were like really interested in this phenomenon, wondering what was going on. And they figured it out. It was just birds or even insects, uh, that were caught on high speed film or, uh, new cameras that were, uh, able to take video differently than what we were used to. So uh, it was proven pretty quickly, but uh, the rod phenomena hung around for a little while. It's pretty much gone by now, but uh, uh, there's a lot of belief in rods, but it's weird to hear somebody refer to that in this day and age. Um, so this mysterious objects in this video, it enters in the frame about three seconds into the 52 second video. Now the airport as he mentioned, took this video seriously. As last month, a pilot had a near miss with an unknown object thought to be a drone. I always thought that was weird. Near miss. Wouldn't a near miss be like hitting something? I don't know. George Carlin taught me that one. Uh, Ash Ellis, who is a researcher with the Northwest UFO Research and Investigation Group, took a look at the video and came up with a solid hypothesis. He says, quote, I've watched the video numerous times and slowed it down. And to me, I'm 99% sure it's a bug or insect flying close to the camera. This gives off the illusion that it's further away and looks to be flying very fast. It was recorded in slow motion. So that's why it looks so good so to speak, if viewed at normal speed, it would literally be a split second speck across the image. But because it's recorded in slow motion and is so close to the lens, it appears to be flying in a straight line and looks to be in the distance, unquote. So that is true. Uh, when it's filmed in slow motion, it, it gives it. Uh, the appearance of, you know, being uh, more in line with the jet flying in uh, regular speed. But even if it was flying super speed, they would say the same thing. It's a UFO. Um, but it does change the perspective of what we're seeing. And you can see a, a jet in normal speed or slow motion. It, it doesn't really change the jet too much. 
because of the way jets act when they're coming coming in. But you see an object that you're not used to seeing like that. Uh, a bug will appear. Uh, I don't want to say bigger, but bigger, in, but it's in the distance. So it gives you perspective that it's a lot larger, especially when you don't have anything but the jet to give you perspective. Now, if you had trees and other things, uh, you might be able to have better perspective as to what's occurring in the video. Uh, Jason Karaginen, Karaginen? Sounds about right. Uh, National Chief Investigator for the MUFON Canada also agrees that the object in question is most likely a bug and not a bird or UFO. Uh, birds are pretty easy to disseminate in videos like this because they uh, generally flap their wings. Uh, but here, even MUFON is, is acknowledging this, that uh, more than likely it's just a bug that was very close to the camera, uh, moving across in front of it. And uh, Pollard also commented, quote, if I'd filmed it at full speed, I don't think I would have noticed it. But I investigate ghosts, not UFOs. I would have really been happy if it had been a ghostly figure I'd filmed by mistake. I'd really like some feedback on what it might be, unquote. So, I mean, it's good of him to acknowledge, hey, I don't have the knowledge about this. I don't really know what I'm looking at. I don't know how to figure this out. I need help. That does take a lot, especially for a, a ghost investigator. It seems like a lot of ghost investigators think they know everything about everything. But I think that's part of the, the problem is the public perspective. You know, they put a, anybody who uh, investigates ghosts as a rock star automatically and is deemed as, a, as an expert. Uh, you got an acronym? You got a, a group name that's an acronym? Oh, my gosh, you're an expert. You got a black shirt? Holy smokes, you're really an expert. But, uh, you know, then there's part of me that thinks that Pollard should have been able to problem solve this. Uh, especially as an anomalous researcher. I mean, you can call yourself a, a ghost investigator, but you're researching anomalous things, strange things. You, you have to know equipment. If you're going to take equipment out, granted, I don't know if he uses his uh, camera during investigations. One would assume he does. But understanding video speed and perspective should come in handy during ghost investigations. I mean, regards to potential false positive orbs, light reflections, uh, you know, a lot of things that can be deemed as ghosts as far as video and photographs are concerned. But I suppose this adds to the ongoing conversation that I've been having off and on. I still haven't written my blog about this yet. It's been like two years, I think. Uh, of are there such things as experts in the paranormal? And, you know, a lot of people, well, I mean, everybody has their own opinion about that. Some people say, well, yes, absolutely. And some people say, no, you cannot be an expert in the unknown. It's impossible. Um, but it obviously took someone in the UFO field to solve a potential UFO video since, well, that's what they do. And a ghost researcher uh, well, this one didn't seem to have a clue as to what he was looking at, even with such a simple explanation. It was a bug, and he couldn't figure it out. 
but at least he admitted this and he, and he did ask for help, which, you know, kudos to him. Uh, a lot of times, uh, I think, you know, the pride gets in the way and people don't want to ask for help or admit that they're, they're, they're wrong or they don't have the answer, which is uh, pretty tough for a lot of people to do. So these two last stories, and let me, before I get too far ahead of myself, let me grab the link throughout the chat room. Um, these last two stories uh, kind of leads us to um, kind of a, well, not really a book of the week because this kind of goes outside of a book of the week. I, I think it's, um, there's not really a book that I can throw out there that's going to um, really help with the overall scope of learning photographs and videos. Uh, I've written some blogs about that a long time ago. Um, so I guess it's a more of a tip of the week, which is kind of weird because I used to do a tip of the week a long time ago uh, when this show was a pre-recorded segment when it first started about 12 years ago. Uh, yeah, I don't think there's really any book out there that can truly teach you the ins and outs of understanding the strange ways that photographs and videos can display what we see. Most books just explain to you how to use the camera, how to adjust settings, how to use flash, uh, how to use your aperture, and all these other settings, um, maybe even time-lapse and different things that your camera is capable of doing to uh, give you a variety of images that you might want to have. It doesn't always tell you what's going to look like when things go wrong or when you capture light a certain way or when the camera malfunctions and you get certain things a certain way. I mean, you can go back in history. As, as long as there's been photographs, uh, there's been people misunderstanding things that they've seen in them. Uh, granted, motion blur, something that's really simple, was a common thing back in those days. I mean, when you had uh, first cameras, people had to sit still for like a half hour for the, the plate to generate an image. And if anybody moved, I mean, they could completely disappear. Uh, but granted, you know, we had uh, ghostly photographs back then because it was easy to manufacture. Uh, but even in 2020, Motion blur in photographs can cause confusion. I've seen it. You know, there's been stories about this. Motion blur, simple things. Uh, even a bug in an image has more than once been deemed a UFO. It happens quite a bit. And with new technology, you know, I've always, I've always said this. New technology is wonderful. It's fantastic. But it always leads to other problems. It always leads to misunderstanding of things that we're seeing as technology gets better. It's better than our eyes. It's better than our senses, better than our perspective. Uh, it used to be that cameras, it was said that cameras only capture what we see. Well, now they can capture more than what we see. Uh, obviously, they can capture IR. Uh, they can capture things much quicker than the eye can see, quicker than the brain can process what the eye can see. Um so one, one thing that I can think of that's happened uh, the last 10 years or so, rolling shutter is a pretty big one. It's really affected the paranormal. Uh, my favorite example of this, to give you kind of a visual concept of this, which I'll throw in the chat room here, uh, is of rolling shutter is uh, 
Uh, my favorite is the photograph. It's a, there's a child cooking in the kitchen. Let me get this in chair. I'm sure you guys know what I'm talking about. So this kid is in the kitchen cooking. Yeah, I guess kids cook. And you clearly see his eyes closed while he's cooking. However, uh, there's a television to uh, to the right of the photograph, and the tel the television is closer to the lens of the camera, which is a clue. Uh, however, his reflection looks to be the same size as him. But again, the TV is closer. It's a trick. And in the television reflection, his eyes are open. So it's spooky. On the left, his eyes are closed. And on the right, his eyes are open. A lot of people think, well, it's Photoshop. It's it's uh, just digital manipulation, but that's not true. It's actually just a photograph as it happened. It's because the way the shutter works, that uh, images can actually change with reflection and, and different things. And this is a really simple concept of, of rolling shutter, but there's a lot of other things that I've seen in paranormal uh, topics, UFOs and ghosts, especially ghosts that were caused by this rolling shutter phenomenon. That is due to the fact that camera technology is way better now than uh, what they what it was, you know, even 10, 15, 20 years ago. Um, you go back 30 years ago or even longer than that, that, uh, gosh, before digital, you know, when I was using, first starting to use cameras, uh, you know, we didn't have digital cameras. Um, so things like this would not have happened, but there's a lot of other things that we had to learn. Like static electricity can cause uh, all sorts of funny phenomena. So you had to be careful to ground yourself before you open the back of a camera. Uh, you know, not open it in certain conditions, uh, different things like that. So, you know, we, we've come a long way, but again, as technology advances, we tend to uh, not understand things that are happening. And again, this photograph is a great example. Uh, I've seen it mentioned in, in photography blogs and um, all sorts of paranormal phenomena blogs as well. And, and people will argue, no, that's Photoshop. It's it's uh, two pictures put together, blah, blah, blah. No, it's actual just a photograph. And it was, it was taken to validate this to show that rolling shutter is a phenomena that people just don't know how to wrap their head around about how the shutter moves and it's, you know, it's capturing time as the photograph is basically processed there. Uh, so you can trick it with uh, this and you can go on and on. Uh, iPhones, uh, remember earlier iPhones, there was problems in taking pictures in the dark, uh, created uh, light pillars that were thought to be like UFOs beaming lights down. It was a big phenomena for a while. Uh, of course, back when digital cameras were first being mass-produced, uh, there were pixelation issues that people thought were ghost orbs, which um, eventually led to the same issue of uh, a similar issue of close proximity contamination. So instead of just being uh, the camera filling in pixels on the in the photograph, uh, this was actually images being reflected back as cameras got smaller the flash and the lens got close together and we started to see a lot of these ghost or pictures and a lot of people were not understanding what was happening to put it politely and ghost orbs uh, throughout the 1990s was a uh, 
really heavily debated topic. I mean, there was literally people on both sides of this, hardly anybody in the middle, it seemed like, and, and everybody on the one side, well, it's definitely ghost. It's my aunt Mildred. Look, she's smiling at me. Uh, the other people were like, you people are crazy. That's just bugs. It's just reflection. Uh, learn how to vacuum now and again. Um, but if more people understood the even the basics of how cameras worked back in that time, uh, there wouldn't be much of a debate. Granted, technology was advancing. And as, when technology advances, it takes time for people to understand these things. Uh, and again, uh, I learned as a kid reading about SLR cameras, uh, single-lens single, leave, single lens reflex cameras. My camera, well, it was my dad's camera, uh, interchangeable lenses, 35-millimeter camera. I experimented a lot with that camera. I learned a lot about photography from reading, but also from doing. And there's no way I could have learned everything without actually having that camera and taking those pictures. Uh, and I have a, an old book from, uh, I forget the uh, manufacturer of that, but an old book that uh, back from the 60s that talks about these orbs in the picture. So it's, it's, not a, it's not a new thing. It's been around a long time. Um, but yeah, I, I tinkered a lot with cameras growing up. Uh, I took a, a photography course in college, and I've never stopped learning about photos and video techniques. I'm not an expert by any means, uh, but I always want to know more. And I'm not afraid to say that I don't know enough. And, uh, you know, I'm always looking at issues. As far as being a photographer myself, I love taking uh, pictures of of animals, of uh, not so much people. I don't know why that's weird, but uh, sometimes people, but um, especially baseball games. You know, I've learned how to be able to take pictures of the ball coming out of the pitcher's hand and, and just before the, the, the hitter hits it and all these different things. I've learned timing. I've learned how to adjust settings to take better pictures of, of different things. Light, uh, not zooming in too much. A lot of different things can help you take pictures better. It's really simple. And if you know the basics, you know that kind of stuff, it helps build to being able to understand what happens when something what people deem as unexplainable happens. It helps you. Um, but yeah, like cryptozoology, basic goats information, you can digest a lot of that in book form. Uh, it does help to get out there in the field, but well, it's obviously better than watching a TV series for that matter. But when dealing with the technical aspect, like photography, videography, or other aspects in the field, there's no substitute for learning by doing either experimenting or learning from someone else while doing. Uh, because learning by doing leads to understanding. And sometimes you can understand concepts in a book, but to put the whole thing together, you got to get out and do. So learning about ghosts or UFOs in a book, pretty easy to do. But understanding concepts within a topic such as parapsychology, it might take learning other topics such as statistics and psychology or just being taught by somebody else, taking a course or two or three. Uh, never stop learning. That, in my opinion, is how you do become an expert. Well, granted, let's face it, an expert isn't something you call yourself. It's what other people think of you. Uh, learning about photography, videography, 
should come from a mixture of reading, learning online. There's a ton of uh, places you can learn online. Uh, I get uh, emails from Fujifilm. They have a website. You can learn a lot about Fuji cameras and, and uh, you know, specific things for their cameras, but general information as well. Uh, taking courses in person or online. Uh, unfortunately, COVID has kind of ruined a lot of this, uh, but uh, a lot of libraries will run basic photography classes for free. And trust me, you might know a lot about cameras, but you take a basic class, there's a good chance you might learn something, especially if you're not paying for it. It's, it's a good investment. Um, in addition to, to taking photos and videos constantly, you got to constantly experiment, especially photos and videos nowadays. You, you can erase stuff. It's not like the 35 millimeter days where you had to you know, take it to get it developed and wait and see what you had. Um, now, I've been known to take a variety of images at haunted locations to uh, attempt to create ghostly photographs. And I'll tell you what, it's not hard. And I play a, a, around with uh, a lot of settings and various conditions with my cameras. So when I need to get a shot, I know what to do in specific conditions. But I'll, it also teaches me what I see in somebody else's purportedly haunted uh, Bigfoot-filled or UFO-hovering photographs. I mean, it's it's really hard. And I've, I've been in groups. I've seen groups. I've been asked by other groups to look at photographs they've had. Uh, that they've taken uh, and they're looking at it days after an investigation. They don't know what happened during the picture. They, they have no answers. Um, that's embarrassing that you have to reach out to somebody hundreds of miles away to answer a question about a, a, a photograph you took. Um, and I think a lot of investigators rely on other people to be tech experts or, I don't know, maybe it's a pride thing that they don't want to take the time to learn. Or maybe they don't want to be viewed as students. I don't know. Uh, but long story short, I know too late. Um, with becoming a uh, more rounded photographer or videographer, you can't just read a book. Uh, you, you have to learn tutorials, whether it's on YouTube, uh, going into a class and learning, taking a college course, what have you. And most importantly, getting out there and actually doing it. Uh, you can't learn how to be a good photographer without taking pictures. So that's your tip of the week. I think, yeah, that's it. Uh, so other news. There's some other news in the news. I guess this is uh, kind of UFO news, but uh, I've lumped it in here. Other news. It's kind of more thought-provoking information. And I think you'll agree that uh, 2020 pretty much has been a total disaster in many aspects. It's uh, pretty much become a throwaway year. People are already buying calendars. For 2021 yikes um and it's you know it's everywhere too all over the globe uh but there are positives about dealing with COVID-19 as a global society is there well for a pair of researchers that global pandemic might have served as a warm-up for how earthlings might prepare for first contact Yes, that's first contact with extraterrestrials, aliens. So imagine the scenario. 
and this is a really simple scenario. It's not uh, like Independence Day type stuff. Uh, but a radio telescope receives a perceived intelligence signal from a distant sun-like star. And over the next few days, other radio telescopes confirm that a signal has been intercepted that is most likely created by an intelligent civilization thousands of light years from Earth. So now we know. We figured it out. Um, so there's going to be a lot of shock. Initial shock setting in. Uh, with the general public of the world as a whole, it's going to change things. Uh, questions are, are going to quickly emerge like, will we actually reply? And how and what message will be sent along if we do decide to do so? And who will decide? Well, Peter Hatfield and Leah Trueblood from the University of Oxford asked this very question to 2,000 people in the United Kingdom. The question asked the preference of the person as to who should determine the response to this message. The fines were a team of scientists were voted on as 39%. So a team of scientists, 39%. Uh, elective representatives, 15%. Uh, by a planet-wide referendum, 11%. By a citizen's assembly of randomly selected adults, 11%. Might as well ask a bunch of children. And don't know, or no opinion, or I don't care, or why are you bothering me about UFOs, 23%. So a majority felt that a team of scientists should be in the middle of this at 39%. Uh, according to an astronomy.com article, the researchers point out that the pandemic has many similarities to a first contact event, particularly with regard to the involvement of scientists, the scrutiny they undergo, and the inter interaction with politicians, which, uh, you know, here in Ohio, we've seen that a little back and forth and abrasiveness. And a lot of stories have come out about uh, businesses opening uh, were really pushed more by political means than by scientists. And it's uh, kind of backfired in a lot of aspects uh, here in Ohio and, and other states and uh, other countries. You've seen how the scientists uh, giving that information, the politics, uh, the politicians following suit, they've had a lot less problems. So I think as, as a whole, the globe has seen how scientists in these types of situations can really help or at least provide a, a kind of a balanced viewpoint uh, between doing what a, a politician wants to do and the general public who just wants to uh, steal TVs. Uh, the researchers say that uh, both situations, so handling a, a first contact and, and COVID, what we've all been going through, are, are fundamentally scientific in nature. So they both have significantly social, economic, and political impact. Both affect every human on Earth. And both are, quote, external, unquote, threats that put humans on the same side in contrast to World War, for example. So uh, there is no, uh, our God is bigger than your God, um, we want your oil. There's no argument. There's no war. It's all against 
COVID and we're all against, uh, you know, this potential threat of first contact. So we're, we'd all be put on the same side, uh, which is an interesting concept because there's really not a whole lot that can happen for that. Scientists have played a key role in response to COVID-19 worldwide. Uh, but again, as we've seen, they generally play second fiddle to politicians. Um, and perhaps a first contact event would pan out in the same way. I can fully imagine that. The alternative that scientists take lead was an option for COVID-19. The researchers commented, a quote, politicians could have at the start of the crisis completely passed over judgment about when lockdowns would be imposed and raised to an independent body, unquote. But um, how this might have worked out is uh, pretty hard to imagine at this point. And I don't really remember anybody really ever saying that. It was pretty much we need to figure this out quickly. So let's take the word and advice of the uh, people who are actually know about this topic. So I think the same would be said with first contact that they're going to lean on the scientists. Uh, this has forced the public to confront the uncomfortable reality that scientists do not always agree and can even be in conflict with each other. Uh, so even in their advisory roles, scientists involved have been subject to the unprecedented level of scrutiny. You know, we've seen a lot of this confusion. Should I wear a mask? Should I not wear a mask? He said I should. She said I shouldn't. What do I do? Uh, the researchers also point out that while some scientists were acting as advisors to governments, others were setting up alternative sources or advice, often in conflict with official recommendations. Again, wearing masks is uh, just one of many different things uh, that we've uh, all kind of been in the middle of. We've heard our friends on Facebook, you know, those experts say one thing. And the guy by the water cooler saying something different. Um, but uh, we've also seen scientists do the same thing. One scientist says one thing, the other says the other. And we're left wondering, as the general public, who do we believe? And um, so with this conflict, uh, sometimes uh, scientists and science in general can become dangerously politicized. And that makes things a little bit more complicated. Um, and again, it's not hard to think that a similar set of circumstances will emerge during a first contact event. And that raises questions about the feasibility of a science-led response, because you know politics are going to be in the middle of it. And of course, uh, we've talked about this on the show over the last 12 years. The basic question is, do we respond at all? A lot of scientists, including Stephen Hawking, have suggested that responding could lead to Earth's demise. We could all become slaves like the Matrix. With, um, you know, we could be powering energy sources, little plugs in our butts. I don't know. Um, you know, any intelligent civilization that's able to free, uh, freely travel through space, uh, I think they could be a little bit more advanced than us. They're going to have that distinct advantage in case of a threat. If they want our our, uh, our water or our land, um, they're probably going to be able to take it from us. There's really not much we can do with the little kids in the sandbox in that situation. On the flip side of that, contact could bring a wide range of benefits to humanity. So let me throw the link to that story 
in the chat. And I got one more, just one more, before we uh, we part ways for the the week. Uh, this is a kind of a spooky, scary story. Uh, at least I think it is, and it's it, it's fitting for us to end on this story, as a lot of you are kind of sneak off and go to bed and and have sweet paranormal dreams. Well, dream about this one. Dream about this story as you drift on to sleep. So not necessarily paranormal. There's certain aspects of it that I think could be, uh, but the story is trending on paranormal sites as well as nationwide, and we'll see how big this story gets. So this goes back to Sunday, uh, Sunday morning at 7.35 in the morning, Southfield, Michigan, which is a northern suburb of Detroit, the fire department responded to a 911 call about an unresponsive woman who had possibly suffered a seizure. The woman, 20-year-old Tamisha Bochamp, had cerebral palsy and is on three breathing treatments a day. Police and EMS arrived and attempted life-saving efforts on the woman for about a half hour, according to the Southfield Fire Chief, Johnny Menefee. Uh, ultimately, the woman showed no signs of life, and the fire department consulted with an uh, emergency room doctor at Providence Hospital who declared the woman dead. The Oakland County Medical Examiner's Office then signed off on a release for the woman's body to the family. They could have opted for an autopsy to determine the cause of death, but they opted to uh, sign off the, the woman's body to the family. Now, during all this, the godmother of the woman who purportedly works in the medical field told authorities on site that the woman was not dead. However, they argued that movements made by Bochamp were made involuntarily, which were in reaction to the efforts of the life-saving methods used. And I, could, I can attest to this. Uh, I was um, present when a, a uh, elderly woman was suffering a heart attack and she was not breathing and a nurse was giving CPR and it appeared as though the woman was breathing on her own, but she really wasn't. And uh, unfortunately she died. Um, and sometimes, you know, body movements happen from, you know, stimulating the heart a little bit, but the body doesn't, the body doesn't, you don't just die. You die in, Phases, so different parts of your body die. Well, I don't want to get uh, too into the death process, but anyway, uh, Bo Champ was then placed in a body bag at around 9 a.m. and her body was transported to the James H. Cole home for funerals in Detroit, where they officially took custody of the body just before 11 a.m. So all the T's were crossed and I's were dotted on all the paperwork, and everything was good to go unfortunately. Uh, however, workers were then ready to embalm the woman, so they unzipped the body bag, and, well, they noticed that her eyes were open, and she was breathing. The funeral home then called 911, and Detroit Fire Department medics arrived and found that the woman was quite alive and had a heart rate of 80 beats per minute. Uh, last I checked, she is currently in critical condition in the hospital. And a, uh, an investigation into this whole entire uh, debacle is well underway. 
kind of spooky, kind of scary. Um, I think I might uh, carry a little stick with me that uh, I'll write on the I'll carve on the stick. Please poke me with this before putting me in the body bag. Well, with that, I'll see you next week. But for now, keep your eyes in the skies, your ears in the woods, the hair standing on the back of your neck. And always keep your mind slightly ajar. And above all else, don't stop believing. For the Paranormal News Insider, this is Dr. Brian D. Parsons reporting.